This episode is sponsored by Masterworks. Check out Masterworks at masterworks.io and use promo code TDI. The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of The Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. End of the month and end of a quarter. April favors the bulls, at least seasonality studies show. Earnings season is right around the corner. And our guest today is Frank Curzio from Curzio Research. All this and much more on episode number 760 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. And a big hello to you. This is Andrew Horowitz, and welcome to another episode of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Thanks again for joining me each and every week where we talk about finance and investments and go through the entire area of markets, understanding about what's happening with our investments to better educate us in order to get to that point sometime in the future, somewhere, someday, maybe sooner for some, maybe a little bit later for others, where we get financial security independence. We have the freedom to do what we want, how we want to do it, and make sure that we have enough money to do so in all circumstances, in all weather, all conditions. That's what this is about. And we do so with a lot of different guests, a lot of different people, some insights. You know, I wrote a book a few years ago, actually two books I wrote. One's The Disciplined Investor, the first one that started all this, Essential Strategies for Success. You grab that over on uh, Audible. It's on audiobook still. There, we have some copies uh, in the closet still that we give away from time to time as well. And uh, there's still some for sale. That was done back in 2000, written 2007, out 2008. And uh, then uh, had another book out also, which was a bit of a uh, lighter version of the same. But it goes through all the different aspects of what we talk about here. Technical analysis, fundamental analysis. We talk about quantitative analysis. Even touch on things like annuities and guaranteed investment contracts all sorts of areas that really need to be focused in on when it comes to our finances. So check that out. But what we do is based on what is happening in real life. This is not an academic study. It's not a view from many miles away. It's what's happening in reality right now. And I want to keep it that way. And we're going to do so with our guest today as well. Now, over the last few weeks, we talked about some really interesting topics. And I've been thinking about a lot of the things and the education that I got from some of our guests, Doc Smith, last week. We talked about the diversification and how that is something. And with the markets ripping and dipping, as they have done lately, it's very difficult to really understand what area is going to pop or drop next. And it is very reliant on all the things that are coalescing around the war and rates and prices, and energy, and politics, and all these things are coming together, make it very difficult for anyone to really have um, an absolute idea 
on what area is going to do well because as energy prices go up, well, many of the energy stocks do well. The sector itself does well. And as we see that the reverse happens, well, of course, that drops. And one of the things that I talk to my clients about this week, and I've been talking about it for a few months, is the difficulty right now with broad-based hedging. Now, hedging is a core part of some of the portfolios that we manage in different manners. Some of them are outright short. Some of them are more um, utilizing cash as a buffer. Some of them are more fixed income over equities, as an example, and moving those around when it's appropriate to do so. Well, the idea of traditional hedging, where we have a component of the investment portfolio that is dedicated to maybe an opposite side of a position that you have, or maybe even a broad-based position to provide for risk aversion from an atypical event that happens where maybe it's like a war, for example, just breaking out where there's just a broad-based sell-off. So we have those kinds of items that we look to hedge for, and then specifically hedging for risk. And then there's another quality of, well, just shorting for opportunity. But the hedging broad-based right now over the last couple of years has been not only difficult, it's been, I think, near impossible. And that's because unlike times when certain areas are trending, these markets provide for spits and, and, and bursts of incredible optimism like we saw over the last two weeks. Post the Powell discussion when 50 basis points seemed to be off the table, at least temporarily, and he implemented a 0.25% increase in the Fed funds rates, and markets went bananas. Rates continued higher. Oil prices continued either at or higher levels. The war raged on, and there was no end in sight to all of that, and inflation continued to pick up. Meanwhile, somebody green-lighted the fact that we should be buying stocks, and having a broad-based hedge in the market at that point, what is that going to do for you? So the more narrow and more exacting you have been in your hedging has been beneficial, which is even creating more difficulty in the process. So again, opting for more of a cash buffer, lower equity allocation to an extent, keeping companies that have opportunity on the books, that has been a preferred measure, albeit a little bit more of a risky measure. But it seems to me that as we are getting beyond the fact and beyond the point of where reality starts disappearing from or, or, or blending into fantasy. That's probably a better way to look at it. Reality blending into fantasy. There may be some more opportunities coming up. We'll talk about that maybe next week, the idea of hedging a portfolio. But for now, how about we get to our guest for the week because I have a lot to talk to him about. And our guest today, as I mentioned, is Frank Curzio from Curzio Research. Now, last time Frank was on was January 16th. And we were talking about uh, all the things that he saw and experienced at CES. We talked about reopening plays. We talked about cars, some really cool things. Now, before that, Frank was on October 17th of 2000, and I guess I've been 21. And the topic of that discussion was what could crush markets, and we talked about 
an aggressive taper by the Fed. And before that, he was on May 9th. And the show was titled Crap in a Bottle. We talked about NFTs. So just to be clear, Frank, you've been pretty much on point with a few hiccups along the way. And the hiccup I want to talk about, I want to start right off in this discussion right now and put this to you to see what you have to say about this to defend yourself about when you, in fact, pass a friend's house on a trip and you don't call them. <laughs> what is when up with that? I, since the last time we were on, no, I haven't been any place. Wait a minute, I saw that you were in an airport in Miami. What are you talking about? Oh, I flew there. I had to go there for a day trip. So I didn't drive. I didn't drive past All your right, house. So you, oh, you didn't drive past. You flew over. <laughs> I flew over. Flew yeah. over. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'll let it go. That's a long Uber ride, man. So I get, <laughs> I get, I get a pass for that. I get a pass. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, you've been right on a lot of these things because uh, obviously the research that you do and 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 the the, you know, you don't hold back. And I wanted to start. With the discussion, there's, there's a lot of topics I want to talk about, but I want to talk about the war, the impact on commodities, the idea that markets have become so gullible to believing that any of the people in politics or what's said on the news or um, what is discussed. I mean, the one thing that fascinates me is we're seeing... I mean, how, how stupid do these people think we are? We are hearing from military and defense ministers that are sharing their battle plans on social media and with the press and with the news. You don't do that when life is on the line. The Russian defense minister recently said that the forces near Kiev and Chernihiv are regrouping to focus on Donbass region. Now, I don't know. It seems to me that in even a game of checkers, you're not going to tell your opponent what you're doing. What the hell's going on? Uh, it's pretty simple. And it's funny. You said something that I don't hold back. It's amazing how people say that they use that term. Don't hold back for people that tell the truth, right? Like you and I, and we have our podcasts and yes, they're broadcast on certain platforms and stuff that that control content like iTunes or whatever, but you know, just telling it how it is. I mean, how it is is Putin's really been kicking the crap out of us, right? I mean, it's the playbook was very simple for him. He knew exactly what was going to happen with sanctions. If you look at when they took over uh, Georgia, uh, same thing. What happened is they had sanctions, uh, their currency crashed, uh, and same thing happened with Crimea. So they knew the game plan. And what do they do? He's like, okay, well, we're going to line up our whole entire forces. We're going to take them over, and it's going to look like this whole like we might not do it aware, but once we do it, we know that no one can stop us as long, as long as Ukraine is not part of NATO, which they would never be. And before this even blew up and now everybody thinks Ukraine is the nicest place and everybody loves them. I'm not saying it's a bad way, <laughs> uh, but it was one of the most corrupt countries. Uh, and that's people who track this data for 25 years, right? It's very corrupt. We didn't have a good relationship with them all the last, the past elections, right? Since they were basically, you know, uh, just... I won't say spun off of Russia, but you guys know what I mean. It's it, it's it, that's the reason why they never made it into NATO. And, and Putin made it very clear, you know, don't touch Crimea and don't go into NATO. And Ukraine just, you know, poked the bear and the bear struck back. I'm not saying that I agree with him. I'm not a Putin fan. Just saying Putin had the whole entire playbook. He knew that we can't do anything because he controls energy. They're the largest exporter of energy in the world, the largest exporter, right? The producer, they ranked number three, which is very, very high the largest exporter. And they basically control Europe because if they shut that off, they're in trouble. And they have India who just bought oil from, they have China's going to buy oil from them. When you control the energy, you could say technology, technology is run by energy, electricity. 
natural gas, so uh, and and coal and whatever. But they had the game plan in place. I mean, to, just to see how this is going along and how you're seeing stories like Putin's lost it. He's crazy. I don't think he understood the impact of the entire world, or well, most of the world, right, going against him. And, right, the and, sanctions in this case are a lot stronger than they were. They were a lot stronger than they were, but yeah. if you look at the decline in their currency, it's the same. Mm-hmm. So there's a reason why, if you look at 2014, look at 2014 and how much treasuries they own compared to right now. They hardly own any treasuries. Okay, this is in the works for a while. Like This is probably going to happen. So uh, even by, if you're looking at, at reports, and military reports, same thing. So for me, it's, you know, you want to go back and forth and look at different things. How does this impact you, right, us? And it's impacting us because we're paying much higher energy prices, which hurts all companies because all companies have to raise prices to account for that. And raise. So that's going to increase inflation even further. You're looking at, which is very, very important, is food. They're a big exporter of food yeah. uh, and agriculture, and you're seeing agriculture companies. So if you position yourselves in the right way where inventory levels for commodities are at 30-year lows, now oil – some places it doesn't take that. You got to get drilling rigs in place. Could take a few months. And if you're looking at titanium, if you're looking at, at you know, okay, you say gold and silver, but it just uh, you know, uranium. I, I, these aren't things that you just like snap your fingers. I mean, even gold and silver and mining companies or metals used, it, it takes over a decade to get this thing produced. Easily over a decade, and that's you know, if you get all the permits, uh, which you you know, which takes a long time and whatever. But yeah. You know, these are, this is how you have to position yourself as an investor. You can have different opinions on uh, on you know, Russia or, or Ukraine and war and who and who's reporting, whether it's Fox, CNN, and both sides. For you, you have to think as an investor how it's going to impact you. You're going to see higher energy prices. I don't know if they're going to go super higher from here because we already rose incredibly. I think more like $80, $90 is better for oil than $110, $120. Which is still very high. It's still very high, but there is a difference because you have the airlines, you have – Companies that have hedges in place, which is mm-hmm. almost, you know, every retailer, major retailer, right? They have trucks and they hedge that exposure this way that, you know, that it's easier to predict their spending and marketing when you when you lock in a price uh, there. They would model at the high end for 90 bucks. They're, no one in the world's modeling for 130 bucks. Right. So that's where things change. And you saw hotels get hit. A lot of reopened plays get hit. Uh, but I do think oil will, will come down. I, I do. Th- I don't I think the bigger question is what happens after they take over Ukraine, which they will, right? I mean, no one's going to stop but this them. Is, this is also, but let me just back you up. I'm just going to break this apart, take this piece by piece. Sure. Some of the things that you're talking about right now are really affecting here, us, and what's going on. But you know what? We are in a global economy to a degree. And when you look at things like, for example, what's happening with natural gas prices in Europe, mm-hmm. it's absurd. Mm-hmm. There was a 20% increase over the last couple of days on the natural gas pricing because there's a concern that Russia is going to stick it up their tokuses and say, you know what, mm-hmm. you need to pay by ruble only. And how are they going to do that if they can't get their hands on the currency, right? Mm-hmm. So big problems there. So Europe is very intertwined more so with us, but they also get, I think it's 40% of Germany gets 40% of their, their oil from, from Russia. Who in their right mind yeah. set that up? Yeah, and that's with Europe. A lot of them going to alternative energy, and they and they've increased that their you know alternative energy tremendously, right? So, in terms of consumption, but you know, look, there's an easy solution to this. A oh very wait, easy hold it. Let me mark this time down. There's an easy. Okay, yeah, go. There's an easy solution. First, you got to remove all the politics, which you can't, right? So the politics and the people who vote and the people who pay money and lobbying. That's why this is such a difficult situation because we have more oil than we 
then we know what to do with. I visited every major shale area personally through 20 different counties, hopped on rigs. The amount of oil we have is tremendous. I understand. I'm not saying we don't have issues with climate change. I'm just not a climate change freak that thinks the world's going to end like Al Gore. And man, that guy made a fortune off of everything that he said. <laughs> <laughs> he was worth $2 million when he lost the election. He's worth 200, 300 million, probably more than that now due to carbon credits. Great job. He sold it and he everybody bought it. And the world's still here. It's not underwater, right? Especially the homes that he bought on the California coast. We're still okay. So I'm not that far off, but we have the oil right now to make us 10 times stronger than we are in terms of being the strongest country in the world. We could export it to Europe. We could export it any place we want. Uh, we have to open up federal lands. There's a lot of BS going on at federal lands where there's 9,000 permits there. There's 1,100 that are being operated on now. The rest are not open, okay? That, that's, again, it's not political. Those are the facts. Open this up and then use some of that money. You could use it towards your carbon credits. You could use it towards building up to that zero exposure for carbon emissions, which is never happening in three lifetimes, but that's okay. But now you can take the money, the massive tens and hundreds of billions of dollars you're going to generate from importing what, what controls the world, which oil, which we have due to new technology, and then take some of that of credits or whatever, and then push it into alternative energy to increase that faster, that movement faster, which a lot of people want. That seems like a pretty simple solution. That seems like a solution that we could all get along with. Why isn't it happening? It's politics. It's politics. Well, so, we, but that's a problem because the, the I agree with you. The, the, the problem is politics, but it's also a lack of foresight. It's also a lack of ability to understand that we need to have a balance. You, it, it, it's, it's, you cannot argue. You're not going to argue, Frank, because I know you well enough. It would be great if there was no negative implications to the energy use that we have on the, uh, on the environment, right? I mean, you can't argue that. Mm -hmm. That would be nice. Be nice. Yeah. However, in order to get there, we can't just all of a sudden stop what we're doing that's a required amount of usage of various different fuels and try to turn on something that's not ready for prime time because the alternatives are pretty new compared to how long fossil fuels have been there. Yeah, I mean, just when you look at how much of this is a joke, right? So just from, from a climate change perspective, again, I'm frankcurzerresearch.com. Feel free to email me. Just email me stats and not to opinion. Email him, not me, please. Whatever, <laughs> whatever's about to happen. I mean, if you're looking at, I mean, 12% of the total emissions is from us. So even if we cut it and the rest of the world doesn't, it's not really going to do anything, right? But that's okay, because as we're cutting it and we're increasing the cost of energy, of everything, and we're seeing prices go through outside of it. I mean, we saw oil prices going up a ton prior to this war, okay? Not as much, obviously, but prior to this war, we were surging. Now, you have people or places like Poland and other European nations saying coal, we're never going to use coal, we're getting rid of coal completely, even we're phasing out coal. By the way, you have to see the coal stocks right now on fire because mm -hmm. we're like, wait, 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 maybe we're going to need these coal things, right? You can't, they can't really stay with you more cash flow, more free cash flow than what their market caps were. Think about it. Amazing. It never happened in the history of any stock, right? But you can't talk about it and you're not hearing about it because it's coal, it's the enemy. So you have dirty, coal saying dirty. Filthy, dirty. It's going to destroy, destroy the world. We're not doing it anymore. So what do they do? They close their facilities for coal, and now they import it from China. So you look <laughs> like a, get better look, than that. Look like a Cleveland Cliffs, for example. I, I mean, a lot of these names. Look at Alcoa. We have in our portfolio. We mm -hmm. have Mosaic. I mean, you're looking at well, that's, the that's uh, of these fertilizers. Things. So what you're I mean, saying is food and, and energy. Yeah. Just you're seeing the cost of these just rise tremendously. So just bring this back for a second. You're saying that it's not necessarily true that. If we in the United States cut our carbon footprint, it's not going to affect just the space above us. 
Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I know. I know, right? It's so crazy when you think about it. But nobody wants to talk about facts. They just read headlines and people could say whatever they want. There's no accountability now. But look, it doesn't matter what side you're on. It matters about you and your family. And that's what it really matters. So, you know, But what matters you- is that I need to have a, a reasonable cost. When you take this all down, get all the way down, put everything, just get rid of everything. The bare naked truth is me. I need energy consumption. My energy consumption needs are heat or cool or uh, usage for food preparation and transportation in some context. That's me and everybody else out there. Now, until such a time that I can bank solar to heat my stove or to utilize some clean burning fuel for my car or electric or whatever exactly it is, we have to have a stopgap measure. And by relying on situations that are outside of our control, which by the way, Larry Fink this week talked about that we are going through the or, or potentially the end of globalization. I coined a phrase recently, which is selective isolationism, which is what we're going to see because many countries don't want to be in the crosshairs of a problem where we're reliant on another country or another leader or another uh, area, region around the world for anything. Why after what we're seeing here, where we can go and attack Russia and financially grind them to the ground, are we going to say, well, nobody would ever do that to us? Who knows? Maybe China's lockdowns now are really all about supply chain squeeze. Who knows? I mean, maybe, but the thing that's different with the U.S. is we have the money. And that, we have the money. Yes. We have the money. We're by, by far, the whole world needs us, right? Including China. That's why China and Russia are different. We can't do anything to Russia for, to stop them. Okay, what we could do for China is those sanctions are going to be extremely, extremely massive because we're the biggest buyer of their goods, okay? We could buy them anywhere we want. Mm-hmm. We're going to pay a lot more money if we go someplace else. But the fact that where's China going to be able to make those, who are they going to sell them to? Right. So that puts us in the driver's seat. That's one of the things you could argue about Trump. One of the things that I liked about him is attacking China and being like, why they have these crazy deals? Well, we know why. But, you know, again, Trump, I'm not advocating. He's, he's crazy. I get it. But I'm just you saying, mentioned holy, it. The emails to Frank. Holding Kersier, that accountable. But there's a whole thing where, you know, does Russia take you know, over Crimea, Russia taking over Ukraine? Now, could we see this where? You know, China goes after Taiwan, largest semiconductor for where we get semiconductors. It's a different story because we could really, really make their their whole economy crash if we want. It's a lot different from from, you know, to compare those two things. So I don't think we'll see a Taiwan situation. But in terms of globalization, I think it's always going to be there. It's always going to be it's like, going to be there. But I think we're going to be backing off and thinking about much more carefully where we supply ourselves from. I don't think that's unreasonable. And, and listen, and, and this is the deal. So we always had like, you know, Nike still has sweatshots open and, and you know, char- right. and they extend, they, they push them to, to way out nowhere in China where nobody knows about them, right? So I'd worry about Lululemon by the way, getting into sneakers. Nobody, nobody does it right like Nike, especially when they, you know, you pay employees mm-hmm. like nothing. But you're looking at, at different aspects of each economy where, that used to make sense for us. But now when you're looking at semiconductors, we can produce that here, right? So now we can open up fabs and that's what's happening right now. At the same time, it takes years. No, No, it takes years, but here's my point. You could do that. We can't suddenly get rare earth metals here, right? Mm -hmm. That's China, 90, 95%, right? Mm -hmm. So there's certain things that we could do and it's going to cost us more and our economy is okay, whatever. And, you know, companies are more flush flush with cash than than the history in terms of, of how much they have in the balance sheets. But, 
you know, it, it's certain things we can control and certain things we can't that we're going to need from other places. So, you know, you're going to have that globalization. It's just like you said, it could shrink. But do you want to be reliant on maybe China does go nuts? Maybe they partner with Russia. Maybe there's World War Three again out there. You're hearing stories about it. But, you know, they decide to take over Taiwan. That's going to hurt us tremendously because, you know, that's where we get all of our electronic products. Mm-hmm. Everything that goes into every single thing that has a plug or you turn on anything, it, it, a lot of it comes from there. From there, yeah. I want to talk to you about the uh, the yield curve, but I want to just take a second, just a moment, and I want to pivot for a discussion that I think we should have here uh, with you, the, the listeners. And it was about 2021. If you look back at 2021, we know it was a record-breaking year for business. There's no question about that. And Americans, interestingly, Americans applied for 5.4 million business ID numbers in 2021. And with new companies cropping up every day, it can be hard to know that one is truly revolutionary, but we know one that stands ahead of the pack and that's called Masterworks. It's a bit of a diversification mechanism for what is going on right now. And they have unlocked one of history's most exclusive investments, blue chip art. And you probably didn't know that according to Citigroup, blue chip art has a low correlation to unpredictable stock market returns, which is fantastic if you got $105 million laying around to buy a Picasso. So lucky for us, there's Masterworks. The platform securitizes multi-million dollar paintings. In other words, they let you invest in the same art as the ultra wealthy do and as they've been doing for generations and generations. In fact, they've securitized over $400 million worth of art. And I want you to see the revolutionary platform for yourselves because it's a game changer. It's a game changer. So I want you to check out who uh, has helped sponsor the show and uh, give them your VIP number to get VIP access to the latest offerings. Just head over to masterworks.io. Use promo code TDI, masterworks.io, promo code TDI, and see important disclosures at masterworks.io slash CD. How's that for a read, Frank? By the way, tokenization, right? Tokenization, yes. that's what they're doing. So yes. they're selling now paintings, fractional ownership. You're selling off, uh, you know, illiquid assets, selling off a piece this way. Right. This is what we do at our company, which is, you know, we're one of the first security tokens ever. We could get an equity stake in our company and that trades on uh, T-Zeros and our symbol C-U-R-Z. But that that's the future. That's revolutionary in what they're doing. I'm very familiar with that company. But you're going to see a lot more companies like that pop up. You know, Frank, I've been, I've been um, accumulating your tokens. I'm going to do a leveraged uh, hostile buyout. <laughs> it's going to be tough since I own 65%. <laughs> and I'm not selling anything. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, so, <laughs> so um, yield curve. We left off on the yield curve. Got to talk about yes. the yield curve. This whole question about the 210s inverting, they did invert last week just for a minute. Uh, what's interesting is this has been a classical measure that has been utilized by markets to see, oh, is there potentially a recession in the future? Because the twos and tens have accurately predicted recessions, but not every 210 inversion has caused or has, has a recession has come after. In other words, there's always a recession after a 210 inversion, but not necessarily linked. Now, first of all, we got to talk about that. Second of all, you know, the Fed is like, well, we don't look at the 210s. What we look at is the 310s, which is like, I don't know, it's like a super heavyweight championship fight with a super heavyweight against a flyweight. There's no, the two, the three month versus 10 year. Come on. You know, they don't watch CPI either, right? 
No. We all watch CPI to see what inflation is because that's what affects us, but not the Fed. Because the Fed, they're special. They look at the PCE because they can either manipulate it or that doesn't really show through uh, the bad things they want to see. So what's going on with this whole inversion, Huapa? Uh, you know, I think it's just a, a great headline, right? That scares the crap out of people because it, it precedes whatever. If you're looking at the past seven recessions, dating back, what is it, 35 years or whatever, you know, you always saw inverted yield curve first. Uh, I think more importantly is the uh, the 30-year to the five-year also inverted. And that was inverted just in 2006. I don't need to tell you what happened in 2007, 8, 9, right? So uh, it doesn't always work, but I think it's funny that you need to see something like this. And the headlines that come out that talk about recession, because a recession is defined by two straight quarters of negative GDP growth, which is meaningless because if you have, you know, 0.1% growth and then negative point growth and then a positive point, that's a recession. Right? Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. So right now we are feeling the effects of a recession right now. I know those earnings are up. I know there's a lot of things that are, that are not a lot of things are doing well, but if you're looking at our market and what's going on for me, th- this time is different. To look at this measure and say, wow, we're definitely going to have a recession. First of all, it, never in the history have the, the, the Fed has, was it 5.6 trillion in treasuries on its balance sheet, right? Which throws a, you know, which wrecks all of this stuff. So, so to, to assume that this is going to work just like it worked last time is crazy. To me, that's a metric I just throw out the window and it doesn't make sense. I know it makes headlines. I think just use your common sense. I mean, you're seeing what's going on. You're seeing you're paying more for every single thing that you do. You see that the Fed has no clue what they're doing. You know the recession. <laughs> you know it was massive inflation. The people, the smartest people who we hire in the world are the Fed. They had no clue that we were seeing inflation. All of us knew it. The average person who- Well, and then how are they the smartest? Wait, wait. How are they the, they're the smartest with, with air quotes around it, right? It's- They're not the smartest. These are the people we These hire. are not the smartest. Well, you know, they're the academics and they're terrible at what they do. They yeah, are. So now, and, and you know, it's not, I'm not saying that anyone's And they're hired for to be, cheer- I'm sorry. Now you pissed me off. They're hired to be cheerleaders. Okay. They're not, they're terrible at e-com- e- economics. They're terrible. terrible. I mean, and that's, listen, but these are the people that we're putting in charge of this, right? We're putting that's them in our charge. stupidity, for but yes. Them, for them not to understand that we were seeing massive inflation and that they thought it was really going to be transitory, which is just short term, is absolutely insane. Okay, you can't inject trillions into the kind. Now, the reason why is when you're looking at, especially the more academic you are, you always want comps and you compare things to the past to try to predict the future. The only thing is we've never seen this before where we injected $10.5 trillion in six months into the market. We've never seen it. And it went directly to people. This is in 2008 where it went to the banks and the banks chose, eh, let me hold on to it. That was a short the system. That money, a lot of that money didn't flow into the system. You notice it was 700 billion, 750 billion was TARP, 450 billion we used, right? And the government made a fortune off it. So they were like, let's just print money. But they, the way they did it, there was going to see massive inflation. No matter, they gave it directly to people. Hey, you're staying home. Here you go. Right. Don't worry about it. Here's a check here. Here's so a check basically, here. PPP loan for all businesses. Harvard applied for a PPP loan. What right? they did was they mainlined massive amounts of adrenaline directly to the heart. Yes. And they didn't expect, so now we have runaway inflation. We have supply chain concerns, but, you know, getting back to your bills, electricity, oil, gasoline, food, tuition, cars, much higher than it was three years ago, probably 20% plus higher than Mm -hmm. a year ago. Mm -hmm. You're seeing that it's not slowing. You try to book a hotel. Good luck getting it below $250 a night. Unbelievable. No way. You're done. Right. So, so you see this where you're going to cut back on spending. Now you're looking at rates and a Fed that's so behind the curve. I mean, the two year, the 10 year, 
I mean, they're telling you that the Fed funds rate should be at, at two and a quarter, two, two and a quarter. And they decide to raise by by 25 basis points like they have. <laughs> like, and people I laugh when I see this because they're like, oh, you know what? The Fed's not going to go crazy. They, we're in a different market. It's a market that people aren't familiar with unless you live 20, 30 years ago. If you were alive back then and, and understood how. Volker, rising interest rates, inflation. There's no cure for this. We had a cure every single time, no matter what risk happened over the past 12 years, the Fed could print its way out of it. This is totally opposite. The Fed has to take money out of the market. They have to, they, they have to raise rates, right? So, so they're not going to be buying they bonds anymore. They need to pull liquidity. They need to raise rates and they need to lower expectations. That's what they need yes. to do. And and they're not lowering expectations when you when you have a 25 base. It's funny because that was two weeks ago, right during that meeting, 25 base oh. hike. And then what happened on Monday, he came out and spoke at an event and said, we're going to go 50 basis or more, you know, the next two meetings. And it spooked the markets. And it was funny. For five because, minutes, for five minutes. Yeah, but why didn't he, you know, the fact that the Fed governors, you see many Fed governors came out after that and said, well, we got to go much, 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 much higher. And then all of a sudden, a few days later, it's, hey, we're going to go much, much faster. So they, they don't have a choice. I think people are under the assumption that, oh, the Fed's not just going to crash this market. And they're going to take it easy. They can't take it easy. They can't. Mortgage rates and you from- know what else, Frank? I am of the, of the opinion that as long as there is a war raging on and prices are artificially double inflated, if you will, because of the war, that the Fed will walk a little bit more gingerly. Okay. However, try that war ends if it does, and we reverse everything. The Fed's going to have to move even that much more quickly. Yeah, but again, you're seeing the Fed behind the curve. We know rates are going to be raised aggressively. So what is what are the plays here? Right? It's not that. So what are the plays? You talk about banks, for example. Why banks are the new growth stocks? You said the new growth stocks, and you said, "quote." Let me just say, I want to quote this for you. Then you could run with this. Okay, they will make a fortune as rates surge. And it will come at no cost. Yes. That's your quote. Okay. So give me three minutes here. You're going to have okay, five. I'm going to explain it. This isn't something that you just say. I do a lot of data behind this. Again, sometimes I could be wrong. Okay. So you're looking at when interest rates rise, that's usually great for banks, right? Because they make the amount of money that's spread in between. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to explain to you what, what State Street said. So I get quotes from all, this is from last quarter when I reported in February, about 50 different quotes from the banks. And they all talked about this, right? I'm just pulling one here, but they were all similar. So State Street came out and said that, they're going to make $100 million for every 25 basis point hike for the year. So that's $100 million for the year, right? Now multiply that by five because I'm figuring at least, at least very conservatively, 1.25 on the Fed funds rate, probably conservative, right? Mm-hmm. So probably that's just here. So now you're looking at $500 million, okay? That's $500 million in pre-tax earnings with no cost or overhead. They're not getting into a new business. They're not buying an AI firm. They don't have to hire developers. They're doing the same exact thing. It's just the interest rate went higher. And that spread went higher. So that amount, just for State Street, amounts to 15% growth. That's not fee. That's interest income. Extra. That's that's 15% growth just because rates only went up to 1.25%. So that's, again, any of the fee income and, and they, you know charging fees like crazy on deposits and credit card fees and stuff like that, mortgage fees. So if you're looking at, at the amount, this 15% growth, it's likely three times what the average company is going to grow earnings by over the next 12 months. And that's just their interest income. And that's just one company. So the the thing is now here is what you need to understand. Okay. I'm going to, it's very, hopefully I do a good job. I try to do a good job to explain things. There's something called deposit beta. And it's very simple because this is a hidden catalyst. It's the margin that banks makes lending money minus the money it pays out on savings. So we all talk about Andrew, like in the eighties. And you probably remember, I remember when, you know, our parents were paying, you know, 15% of their mortgage. That's fine, but the savings rate was 10%. 
CDs were 12%. People don't really talk about that. Now we have the Fed aggressively raising rates, which means banks are going to start earning a lot more interest income. However, as the Fed raises rates, the banks are not raising their deposit rates. They don't have to because they're more liquid than any other time in their history. And the banking companies talked about this on their last quarter. So that means their margins and what the analysts are at, uh, modeling for are super, super conservative. If you think that we're going to see rates at 2%, which is super conservative, they should be there right now, the Fed funds rate, the bank's earnings are going to explode. I wouldn't go into the Goldman Sachs has made a ton of money in investment banking fees and SPACs and stuff like that, which you're going to see declines in IPOs. But when you're looking at just the deposits, there's banks saying, we waited for this moment, for this time where rates and inflation is out of control. We don't see that ending. These guys are absolutely going to print money and they're down. So are you talking about like the Bank of America's, the Wells Fargo's? You're talking about the truest? Put one of those in your portfolio. And here's here's good advice. Don't do it with all your cash. I'm doing this personally. But if you keep your money in in a savings account, right? Now you're getting crushed with inflation. You just... Losing the purchasing power of that, right? We all hear that, but you don't see it really directly, but you really are as inflation takes off. Mm-hmm. Instead of doing that and keeping it at a bank, which they're lending out at a much higher rate, yep. take that money and put it into a bank. Now you're making 3%. So instead of inflation working against you, it's working for you. So you're talking about the dividend from the bank itself plus the, the opportunity. dividend from the bank yep. itself is 3%. Now you have a company that, that has a nice dividend, 2 to 3%, so maybe even 4% for some of these large banks. And as inflation keeps going higher, higher, and you see rates being raised, these guys are going to be printing money. But what if the rates get raised in the, what if the economy gets crushed? Don't banks have a problem due to the fact of potential bad loans and other lending issues that won't happen? For example, if rates go higher and housing prices are still extremely high, less people will be buying, therefore they're not issuing new loans out there. And, and one day there could be a time that they're going to have to increase their deposits to bring money in because they need to shore up some of their balance sheets. Yes. But that'll be at a higher level. And people that refinance like a mortgage at 3%, mm-hmm. then it's going to be a lot thinner net interest margins. Again, that, that's that is the risk, margin. right? That's fees. That's fees. Yeah. So it's not that they're not making anything. They haven't made really anything on net interest margin forever. So they make it a fees. That's why they love that where they'd say, oh, well, mortgage rates are down. Now you can refinance. It's all fees, fees, fees. So yes, that could happen. But for the first year in the liquidity, not only that, you're assuming that you know, maybe the housing market slows a little bit. We saw mortgage rates go from three to five percent, which is a five hundred dollar difference in a monthly payment. That's a lot. Four hundred thousand dollars, which is the average loan. It's a lot of money. Right. It's a lot of money. Right. I mean, huge. It, it's, a, it's it's huge. However, when you're looking at, at banks in general and the amount of money that they lend out, uh, look at all the corporations. I mean, I mean, there's going to be massive lending continuing where those rates are still going to be low, and they could generate a higher return than what those rates are. But you're looking at Companies flush with cash with very good balance sheets that could still tap the debt markets, which they've been doing. And yes, mm-hmm. they do it at lower rates, but that's still that's not going to stop. Mm-hmm. That's not going to stop. The other aspects going to be different. Yeah, the fee income go down a little bit. Yes, but just there is you have to say there is no money going into this. This is just you sitting back and all of a sudden someone paying you, you know, 10x of what you used to make uh, for doing the same exact job. And that I mean, the costs associated with this are absolutely nothing. So it's easily going to make the difference when you see a slowdown and you're seeing the mortgage again, it's not really going to hurt the banks as much in terms of their fee income, but the net interest income is just money that's pouring in. It's almost like when you're restructuring a company and you fire employees, that money outside of the severance packages, you save that it goes right to the bottom line. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're going to see with these companies where the massive growth is going to come in. I would definitely invest in a large bank because they're trading at dirt cheap valuations. They're flush with cash. They have tons of deposits. We recommended a small cap. I don't want to give away. Uh, it's and. They have exposure in the two biggest areas, which is Florida and Texas, which are seeing population growth and just vast amount of people flowing there. 
Uh, and these guys actually said on their call, we waited for this moment. This is why we have so much in deposits. Now we're going to be able to lend out at much, much higher rates. And I can tell you, demand in Florida is still insane. Insane. Housing, even insane. I don't even want to talk about the, the increase in houses in prices over the last month. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's astonishing. It is. It is. And, Let, and yeah. Let's move along. Um, crypto. I know there's an area that you have done a lot of research in, and you know my feelings on crypto. I think that there is some benefits to it in very specialized areas. I think uh, the crypto boys have their heads really implanted pretty far up their asses on crypto uh, because that's all they believe in, which lends me to believe that they don't have any credibility, to be honest with you. But I think from a trading instrument, from speculation, I'm all, I'm all, I'm all over it. I'm great. You know, it's fine. But there is a recent change that was made, and it was related to some legislation that's being put forth by Biden, an executive order. Talk about that and why, in fact, this is really bullish for certain areas of the crypto universe. Yes. So most of the move in crypto, and you're right, I saw someone have a $2 million target on Bitcoin. When I see that, it's no wonder why <laughs> you know, nobody believes in this shit, right? Yeah. I mean, it, but do I see Bitcoin going to 100000 I definitely do. I don't know when. It could be a year. It could be two years. It could be three years from now. But Demand has never been greater, but the missing component here, which was great for us, and, and you know, I've done very well. I based my whole company on, on, on crypto, right? We have a, it's, mm -hmm. it, we have security, right? So token, security token. But what Biden's executive order did is it didn't provide the framework, but it came out and said the U.S. is supporting crypto now, and we're going to have our regulatory bodies go out there and figure out a way to do this, because we want all the innovation to come from here. And if you're looking at innovation. I'm not talking about AI. AI, it's not innovation. It, it's getting better and better, just like you're still finding ways with streaming and the internet and 5G and stuff that, you know, it's, but it's all enhancements off existing trends, right? Even when you're looking at data analytics and stuff, when you're looking at DeFi, decentralized finance, I mean, finance is one industry where the middleman still exists and makes a fortune off of it, which every other industry, Amazon killed it, it, it you mm. know, that, that, you know, that margin in between, like being a millman, has been disappearing for almost every single industry. But mm -hmm. DeFi changes that, right? I mean, it's why we why do I have to pay thirty dollars in, in wiring fees? Wiring fees when I have my money at your bank, right? At Bank of America. So DeFi, uh, you know, with blockchain technology, you're looking at security tokens that we have. NFTs, NFTs are one of the greatest technologies. I'm not talking about apes. I'm not talking about bananas. I'm not talking, talking about the crazy. technology behind it. I agree with you. There's some really it cool things you can do. It allows you to yeah. own your content on the web, your content, which none of our content, your podcast, my podcast, we don't own it. I mean, you could own it, you have it, but you know, through iTunes, iTunes, you could say, could just shut a button and say goodbye. Just like they could do the any YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. This allows you to own your own content and receive royalties off of it forever. Quick example of this. Okay. If you're looking and I don't want to get too much off point, but if you're looking at, at, at tickets, say the owner of, you know, the Minnesota Timberwolves, they sell the tickets a hundred dollars and you get them to that your ticket to some ticket master or, you know, SeatGeek or whoever, right? StubHub. And then they resell it for 10X, 20X, right? So now you could make those tickets an NFT, meaning that every time they're selling the secondary market, now the owner gets a percentage and gets a royalty. You I'm know, not advocating I, I for them. I, I hear you. I'm so, I got to be honest, you bring up a couple of sore points here. I am so sick of being skimmed. Yes. Aren't you? It's well, like, you it's getting, like, it's like the new- mean getting skimmed? You know, in other words, you know, I buy a ticket or- I want to buy a ticket and I get, you know, a convenience fee or this fee or that fee or this fee or that 12 different fees. Or I, I, go, I go to StubHub because I can't get a ticket because they bought all yes. the stuff. And then I'm paying up on that. Plus, not only paying up, I'm paying double up and more, more skim. It's like this newfangled way of the new enterprise is all about yes. just 
screwing, skimming. just skimming Hotels. everywhere. Everywhere. Skimming it's, it's, everywhere. Nothing's new. It's, it's just all fees. It's it's all fees. It's all skimming. It's all it's taking more money, more juice, and creating higher cost factors than we really need to be. The more there are more middlemen and middle, 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 middlemen involved in all of this. It's really disgusting. It's disgusting, but you're not the middleman with NFTs. You own the NFTs. I get it. I get it. So at least you're, you're getting cutting the that out is what I'm saying. Yeah. So every time it's sold, you're going to have a big competition with the likes of StubHub. Ticketmaster, it is still unbelievable to me that there's no legislation against that company. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, unbelievable. Know, it, is it is unbelievable. And I didn't want to get, I was providing like, like an example NFT, but even the metaverse, all of these trends yep. flow through crypto. And now that with Biden's executive order, you saw. The Winklevoss twins, these are the people that manage the most money, right? You saw Novogratz, again, I'm, I'm thrown out. Democrat, Republican, going back and forth. I don't care about politics. I'm just all the people who manage the most money who in the crypto all said there's a watershed moment because it provides the box that they can check off. Now they can get into crypto. Now, why do institutions want to get into crypto? It's because Jamie Dimon said it well, and they had the whole Byron's article on this. The clients want to invest in crypto. They want to have allocation to crypto, even if it's 1%. Why if, is that a big deal? Let me ask you this question. Let me, let ask me this finish question. this point yeah. really quick. Why is that a big deal, 1%? Yeah, because there's $250 trillion in assets under management globally. And these clients want to get into crypto. They don't want to go all into crypto. And it's not going to be 10% or 7%. But even at 1%, that's enough to double the industry. But now the institutions needed that box to check off in order to start investing in this industry. It's no coincidence. They, Biden came out three weeks ago. What do we see? Goldman come, becomes the first major bank to trade Bitcoin over the counter. Cowan says it's going to allow institutions, uh, clients to spot Bitcoin trading. Ray Dalio just came out and said, the largest hedge fund in the world, 150 billion assets in the management, we're about to make an investment in a crypto fund. There's, there's a reason why all this stuff is happening and why crypto has went from 35,000 to 47,000 so quickly. Right. And this is a game changer to me. You're going to see more money flow into crypto, into the good projects, and we need some sort of regulation here to make sure money, people's money are protected. We're going we're to take my thoughts on, on Bitcoin and why it shouldn't be just a stable dollar value uh, and why people wouldn't be happy about that if it is this great new potential for uh, untethered and, 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 and distributed currency. But we're going to put that aside. I'm not going to talk about that now because we only have a few minutes left to really talk, 5% mortgages, game changer. What's going on? You think that housing demand is going to be a problem from this? You know what? I said that it wouldn't be, you might not see it so much in in Texas and Florida where you're seeing, you know, just population growth explode due to high taxes and, and you know, whatever, right? We, we got those effects, right? We're seeing that with people mm -hmm. moving from these cities where they feel like it's more dangerous. And I live in New York and I would never live in New York again now, uh, post-COVID. That's just me. It's with just, kids. Whatever. I don't want and with, with kids. kids. Yes. So when you're looking at 5%, we said that just that 5%, that 3%. And by the way, it went from 4 to 5% like a week and a half. <laughs> I know. That's massive. Yeah, it wasn't big. like, oh, it's at 4.1. It's at 4.2. Right. It was 3% four months ago. Then went to 4%. I was like, wow, that's quick in four months. And then a week and a half later, this is what happens when you're looking at the Fed and, and just you know raise it by 25 basis points. They got to be raising more. Now, if you're looking at that, at the mortgage of a $400,000 loan, right, for a $500,000 house, which is the average, okay, we said it's $500 more a month, which is massive. That's more money that's not going into the economy, discretionary things to purchase. Mm -hmm. But if you look over the life of the loan, that's where things get interesting. Because over the life of the loan, it costs $400,000, it'll cost you around $200,000 next. So you're paying $600,000 in total at the end of that loan. Just by that rate going from 3 to 5%, which seems like really, really small amount. That doubles that amount. So you, mm -hmm. that $400,000 loan, you're going to be paying $800,000 for. That's insane yeah, that's over big. the life of that loan. That's how important, how crazy that is. And it's not going to stop at 5%. 
especially if the Fed isn't aggressively raising rates. So it, it is a game changer and you have to be willing to change on a dime if the data changes, just like when the Fed changed in November. That's a fundamental and, and, change. And, and, in the and these higher rates are, there's no way this is, well, we'll use their word. Higher rates are not transitory. Okay. You know, they're going to be here for a while because yes. just to put this point and a fine tip on this, on, on this is, this is normal. These rates that we're seeing, three to 5%, the normal move is not that. But a 5% mortgage is not an abnormally high level for mortgages. No. What we've seen in the last few years is the abnormal, is the atypical, and is the the um, times that are on the edges of what we've seen historically. And that's if people got used to the last 12 years of, yep. hey, every, it's, it's by the dip every time the Fed's there, low interest rates, buying bonds, just by the dip, doesn't matter. Yes, we're going to increase the multiple from used to be 15 times forward disappearance to 22 times. That's okay because we have low interest rates. Throw that out the window. Yep. <laughs> throw, you have to throw it out the window. This isn't yep. like, this isn't a buy the, it, it's sell the rip market now. That's what you need to do because it, it, it's trying to go higher. There's just too many risks. And Andrew, I can't find a lot or if any bullish catalysts. Yeah, what are they? That makes you want to invest right. in things long term. I right. mean, I mean, sectors differently, but what's going to push us up to, to you know, brand new highs and stuff? What is it? I right. Mean, you want to, we want to invest in energy, but you only want to do that as long as the war is going on, right? You know, you only want to invest maybe in banks as long as we're going to see interest rates go higher, which they are. And those are sectors. I know. I agree. I agree. Banks as well. I but, agree. you know, the whole market just, you know, having this allocation where, okay, growth stocks got nailed. People are buying them on the way down thinking they're going to go higher. And man, it, some of these things down 70% Oof. still. Yeah, tough. Hey, listen, we're all about out of time here for Frank Curzio. Why don't you tell us where people can find you, your great podcast, your sites, your newsletters, all that. So you can find everything at CurzioResearch.com. We're on a special offer, and it's good for two, three more days. And this is uh, for our crypto intelligence newsletter. We've seen lots of demands, a lot going on in crypto. Uh, we're cutting the price by 50%, no. and then also offering a free year. So that's the best offer we've offered since we lost. Wow, there's no inflation by you, Frank. Well, look, we want to do the right thing by people and get them in because now the, the, a lot of cryptos are cheap. Uh, the, I have to tell you, and, and this, you know, not even pitching it here, I'm saying that the average gain in our portfolio with all this, that over 25 of them is 350%. Hmm. Those are the gains that you're able to see in crypto where it's very hard when SPACs are coming out crazy valuations. You got, you know, IPOs coming out crazy valuations. You're seeing how, you know, a lot of these things have gotten crushed. Crypto is a way you can get in before institutions if you know where to look. And we've done a good job of that. And there's just so many innovative trends coming out. There's a lot of good ideas. There's a lot of crap. So you need someone there to tell you and, and you know how to avoid a lot of the BS. But it's an exciting industry. It's something we're all in at. And, you know, I'm not BSing you because I based our whole company on it. As, yeah. Our company's has right. security token. So. And, you know, I kick your butt if you were BSing me anyway. Yeah, pretty you much. Know. And you can. Easily. How are you doing? On, how, hey, real quick. How are you doing at the gym? I know. You were uh, really uh, working it hard. You were boxing. You were doing. You were dancing. You were you were, you were working out every day. How's that going? It's going good. I'm up about, I mean, 12 pounds from the low. Still down over 40 pounds. It's all muscle. It's all muscle. It's all muscle. But you know, it's now now the summer's coming, so I'm gonna get in better shape. But you know, just it's hard. I love to eat. You love to eat, right? It's, it's I'm down 25. You know, I'm, I'm down 25. Oh, I love it. Just try to stay since there, January. Man, it's hard. Down 25 since January. How you feel? Is it a habit now, and you're eating good? Or? Oh, I had to cut my arms off. Yeah, cut your arms <laughs> off. Yes, no. and don't ever eat bread again. You'll be fine. Well, that's exactly, that, you know what? Why that's is it. that just not the basic rule of a diet? End of sentence. Just don't eat the carbs. Yeah, don't eat the carbs. I'll eat carbs. I'll gain three pounds if I have like a Overnight. sandwich. 
I'm like, how is that possible? It's just your body doesn't break it down. Without eating the carbs, I can drink and I can eat and I don't gain weight. Yeah. As long as you're not drinking lots of carbs. Right. Right. I'm not drinking like beers. I'm drinking like a rum and Diet Coke. Something like that. Keep it low. Frank Curzio, (laughs) Curzio Research. Thank you as always. Make sure to uh, visit the show notes for episode number 760 at thedisciplinedinvestor.com. We'll have all the links, how to get in touch with Frank, how to understand what's going on, get a special offer on his newsletter, all the things that you want to see. And of course, listen to his great podcast, which you can find on any podcast player that's out there. Frank Curzio, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, man. I love you, buddy. Thanks, me too. That's going to be a wrap. Uh, This show right now, it is the start of April 2022. Again, thanks for joining me this week and every week. And we will uh, be back again next week talking about uh, the markets and what's going on and shaking it up. So thanks again for joining me. I'll see you again soon. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company.